this week. We welcome back Alex Horan of Onapsis to the program, which is going to be a lot of fun. Catch up with, with Alex. Uh, Carlos Perez will be delivering the technical segment for this evening, Basics of Abusing WMI Events. In our security news, all kinds of hilarious. We actually have an SAP story that we may actually talk about with Alex, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, how free health uh, apps steal your private data and sell it. Um, attacking and defending nation-state cyber operations. I said cyber already. Netflix, HTTPS. Oh, my favorite story from this week are how prisoners built computers and hid them uh, in the ceiling at um, <clears throat> a correctional facility. Uh, Juniper's got some patches, and Microsoft patches a very serious bug uh, in Microsoft Word. All that and more on this episode of Paul Security Weekly. This is Security Weekly, for security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where exploits run wild, packets aren't the only things getting sniffed, and the cocktails flow steady. It's Paul Security Weekly. you by gain control of cyber risk with tenable io the first vulnerability management platform built for today's elastic assets like cloud containers and web apps discover a fresh asset-based approach that prioritizes vulnerabilities while seamlessly integrating into your environment and improve roi with the first elastic licensing approach based on assets not ip addresses tenable io delivers the data and context you need to secure your elastic attack surface start your free tenable io trial today by visiting tenable.io NetSparker, the developers of desktop and cloud-based web application security scanners that enable you to automatically identify vulnerabilities in your web applications and web services. NetSparker scanners employ a unique and dead-accurate vulnerability scanning engine that automatically verifies vulnerabilities with their proof of concept. For more information, visit them on the web at netsparker.com or email at contact at netsparker.com. Logarithm's Netmon Freemium delivers real-time network visibility to quickly identify emerging threats in your IT environment. Netmon Freemium is a free commercial-grade network forensics and traffic analytics solution. You can use Netmon Freemium's powerful capabilities to search against all observed network traffic, identify abnormal traffic patterns and application usage, and quickly analyze full packet captures. Take the first step towards real-time network visibility. Visit logarithm.com forward slash freemium to learn more and download it today. Greetings, everyone. I'm going to do my best Larry Pesci imitation since he's not in the studio tonight. And I'm here to introduce you to the man that gives me a credit card and lets me loose in the liquor store, Mr. Paul Asadorian. Paul? Welcome, everyone, uh, to Paul's Security Weekly. This is episode 509. It's April 13th, 2017. It's actually Thursday. It's almost Friday, the 13th, but it it's is. Thursday. 
the oh, 13th. that's right. Tomorrow's Friday the 13th. No, tomorrow's Friday the 14th because oh, today's man. the 13th. It's, there's one this year, though. There is just one? Just one, I think. Interesting. Interesting. I think it'll really happen. We already it dropped knowledge right here on the show. <laughs> Useless facts. Find Useless them here facts. first on Paul Security Weekly. We've got a fantastic show for you this evening. To my left here in studio, up here, flew up flew for up. B-Sides Boston, which is happening this Saturday. Mr. Jeff Mann. Hey, Paul. What's going on? Ah. Now, you're speaking on Saturday? I am speaking on Saturday at B-Sides and Boston. what is the topic of your talk? Does DOD level security work in the real world? Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> My talk one. title is How to Defend Against Pen Testers and Win. Mine is too, but indirectly. Indirectly. <laughs> Jeff and I are speaking on similar uh, subjects. And I had to build my talk from scratch. Not me. Pretty much. You've, you've <laughs> had your talk for a little while, so you're, yep. you're where I was for InfoSec World. My talk was already built, so I was like, that's cool. Yep, that's right. Um, on the lines via Skype, Mr. Carlos Perez. Carlos, welcome. Hey, happy to be here. Now, did you remodel your entire house, Carlos? No, I actually built a new office. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, third baby on the way, so I needed a new office. Nice. I, I, I lost my old office. That's now the baby room. So are you that sounds the, fair. Are you in the basement or? No. In fact, uh, in the first floor to the side, we just built another room. Oh, yeah, you put an addition on your house. Oh, yeah. An Ooh. addition uh, 20 feet by 13, I think, something like that. Nice. That's, yeah, it's, it, it's going to be a chair office between my wife and me. So you have a couch back there that you can take naps on and stuff. It's good. Oh, yeah. It's uh, quite big. In fact, uh I have the uh, couch. My home lab is there on the corner. Nice. It's, it's, it's quite big. Very That's nice. awesome. That's awesome. It's your escape from all of... Uh, your wife is due soon, right? You have two, two, two kids? Two kids. My wife is due in three weeks. And due with your second or third? Third. 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 Wow. Welcome to the club. Almost welcome to the club. <laughs> <laughs> three yes. kids. Almost. Yeah. It's craziness, yeah, dude. You get outnumbered, and it's just, it's, it's, it's interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, in fact, we have uh, two girls, my wife, and three female dogs. So finally, a bit of testosterone here in the house. Oh, it's, and it's a boy? You know the, the sex of the, it's yeah, a boy? it's a boy. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's good. So you got... You Way got to gen- good gender mix. identify even before, uh, yes. before the baby's born. Yes. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, quick announcement. Uh, speaking of uh, conferences in Boston, besides this Saturday... Then we have a, a week, which is actually spring break for uh, schools here in Rhode Island. So I'll be taking so much of it. will be above freezing? It will be above freezing. I will be taking Hopefully. some time off next week. And then on uh, the following week is the 10th anniversary edition of Source Boston. Uh, April 24th and 25th are the uh, training sessions, 26th and 27th. will feature some awesome speakers from the security community. And I will speak as well. <laughs> events take place. <laughs> events take place in Boston at the Courtyard Marriott downtown, and Security Weekly listeners will get a hundred dollar discount on either the training or conference passes when using the discount code Security Weekly. Visit SourceConference.com for more information. You know, if you said awesome speakers, including myself, that's why then you, you would I be an awesome speaker. I don't want to. Otherwise, seem, you're not an awesome speaker. I don't know. I just I just built this talk, and I've never given it before, so the jury's out on whether it's going to be awesome or not. Well, I'll I'll sit in on your talk if you sit in on mine. That's, so. That sounds like a plan. <laughs> All right, <laughs> sounds like a plan. And we'll at least have one person listening. That's right. <laughs> 
Good thing you mentioned it was a talk. Yes. There you go. Yes. <laughs> Jeff and I shared a lot of things, cigars, talks. Um, Alex and I have shared a lot of things in the past. <laughs> How many years, Alex? Quite a few. Yeah, it's going it's, on 12, I think, 12 or 13. Well, it, it's, well, you were at episode one of the, the podcast is when we first met in 2005. That's October of 2005. So it'll be 11 years this October, Alex. 11 years. Wow. But I think it's past the point of uh, being at the first episode years. was cool. Is it, is and it now 12? it just means you're old. What was that, Alex? Sorry. I, I was being corrected on my math because it sucks, <laughs> apparently. It is actually 12 years. It's 12 wow. years. Anyway. But I think now it's gone from the point where being at the first episode was a sign of being cool to now it's just a sign that you're pretty old. Yep, I agree. I agree. Does that mean we're not cool anymore? Really? That's a good point. As I was saying that, I just realized I was painting myself in a corner there. You're still <laughs> <Yeah>. cool. <laughs> I don't know about that. Oh, I'm a debatable. You're not an awesome speaker, but you're cool. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There, <laughs> there you go. go. That it's should be my cool tagline awesome. in my presentation. Yeah. Not an awesome speaker, but I'm cool. Um, so, Alex, how have things been, uh, been going with you? Uh, things been going great. Thanks for asking. Yeah, really, really busy. Uh, on a personal note, just so happy to see the sun. I don't know mm. for those of you who are in the northeast, it's just been uh, uh, every year. It week. feels like the longest winter. Yeah, you kind of forget about summer, but the last week has been actually sunny weather, beautiful. So, and you were you always, were here uh, in in Boston this week. I was yes. I actually got to wear short sleeve shirts, which yes. is a minor miracle in itself. That's right. I, uh, now I have like a plethora of shirts to wear because they're yeah. all clean because they're on the <laughs> short sleeve. Right. And this exactly. is great. So yeah, <laughs> discovering them again for the first time. That's it. That's it. Um, so, what have you been doing uh, lately for Anapsis and in, in, in the security world? Yeah, that's a good question. So, I've been trying to uh, get a little bit more out there. We were, you were just listing off all those shows, and those were shows that I, I went to, I guess, in my former life. Mm. SAP security is is important, but it just seems to be a different crowd, if that makes sense. So mm -hmm. I've been going to SAP-focused uh, conferences, and it's um, it's been really refreshing. Uh, people are really genuinely interested in learning just in general about security. Obviously, you know, we have a certain spin on it that we want to put, but uh, kind of, some of them are learning it for the first time, and it's, it's really... It's like a like a newborn in some senses. You're kind of helping people discover that security exists and that it's important and it, it's not scary. It can actually be helpful. So it's been great doing those presentations and doing that kind of uh, enablement for, for folks. So that's interesting. So the, the conferences and the audiences that you're speaking to are not exposed to the hacking or security world really at all, right? Uh, not at all. This uh, conference I went to uh, just a month ago, this is the first time they've had a security track in the conference. Wow. Like, and so it's uh, like uh, they still use the, the, the phrase cybersecurity with a straight face. Like they think it's a new term. <laughs> so what kind of questions do you get when you're up there talking? I mean, Alex, you've been, we just established you've been in our community for some time. Like when you get up there and start talking with it, what kind of questions do you get? Yeah, I think the biggest questions we get is they don't understand how it affects them, if that makes sense. So they see security as... Is, is someone else's job and it's just affecting those people with security in their titles and yeah. they don't realize that the systems that they work with or manage every day can have these issues and, and are an attractive target to people who, who want to get at the data or the processes that they run. So in some cases, it's uh, my systems run internally inside the network, so I don't understand why this, people think this security stuff applies to me. That's all on the internet or that's all at the edge. And the rest is just kind of translating how... Uh, uh, how people do it, but also the motivation. Like they say, it is a, a personal attack on them. Like why are people going to Try attack to my system? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I getting them you. through that emotional journey of it's not you, it's just your systems, and this is a problem we can fix. 
So uh, lately, Alex, I've been talking to a lot of uh, identity and access management vendors on a, a lot of different levels. That seems to be like a new trend emerging. Uh, not that it's, it hasn't been a trend before, but I think it's kind of spilling over into the larger security community as being able to help a lot of the problems that we suffer from in the enterprise today. And identity and access management in SAP, I don't know if we talked about this before, is that like baked in or do some of the third-party vendors for identity and access management like also cover SAP? Yeah, they're, they're getting there now is the way I'd put it. Um, yeah, I've kind of, I think I've said it before, but SAP is a little bit like going back in time. So things that we may take for granted uh, and that are, you know, somewhat standard in the rest of the, even in the rest of the enterprise, SAP is just incorporating now. So, um, and it's, you know, SAP themselves might have supported that technology for a long time. That's the pace of change inside the enterprise, the reluctance to make any kind of changes to the SAP system if it's already running. So for a long time they had, you know, you had your, regular account to log into the rest of the enterprise, and then you had your SAP account, which was completely separate, different password policies, different everything. Now we're seeing organizations, you know, going for that single account, that single uh, set of credentials that gets them in everywhere. So are they, are they doing that with Active Directory, or are they doing some also supporting single sign-on from uh, other vendors as well? Yeah, we see primarily uh, Active Directory. Some people using certificates uh, as, a, as a means to do it and using a kind of a certificate store somewhere. Uh, but a, the majority of people are Active Directory. We're seeing uh, uh, that just seems to be very commonplace. We've only got a handful of people we're seeing who are using like a SAML v2 based uh, authentication provider. Mm -hmm. And is two-factor authentication somewhat prevalent or are they still being not out of the security journey. mind? Probably not, right? Exactly, yeah. And by definition, the people I'm talking to, you could argue, are... Uh, are the leaders of security when it comes to SAP because they're actually talking to me. Like they're aware of the need for, for the services that we provide. And I've only spoken with one organization who has two-factor authentication for their SAP systems. It, SAP is of the mentality, if it is not broken, let's not touch it. Yep. It, yeah, definitely absolutely. the people, yeah. The, I think SAP as an organization is doing a lot. But I think you're exactly right when it comes to the people inside an enterprise who run SAP. It's exactly that mentality. You pay me to keep this running. Any kind of change could stop it from running, so therefore I don't want to make any kind of change. I, I got a, a call from a customer the other day, uh, about a month or two ago. Uh, we have been, uh, I, I used to be their penetration tester many years ago, and every year I reported on their SAP system using default passwords. Mm -hmm. And I remember they called me like, hey, Carlos, uh, we have a new situation. Um, here in, the, in our customer, uh, it turns out that uh, our providers were going into the warehouse and everybody was logging in and they were logging in as the SAP admin and entering their orders and nobody knew why and ended up being that one of them was watching YouTube on the installation of the module that we use and he saw that during the installation it had a default user and password for the admin account and they start sharing them between each other and they're not technical and they were logging in as admin. Thankfully, none of them were malicious, but yeah. it could yeah, turn no. out to it work ugly. Yeah. It works. But we also see exactly that in factories. They have gloves, so they just leave the system logged in because, because taking the time to take off your gloves, log in, that kind of thing. It's really common, you know, and, and people, you know, as you say, thankfully, it's just people doing something from convenience versus because they're malicious, but it just takes one person to come in, and that could easily be a disaster. Now, hey, so I've I, got go two, ahead, Jeff. two yeah, go quick ahead, Jeff. questions. I want to get back to default passwords, but go ahead. But I, I used SAP 
20 years ago when I worked for a company. And, uh, you know, just for the benefit of those that aren't familiar with SAP, what is it? What does it do? That's the first question. And the second question is, is it still rife with pages that are still uh, in German? Because that's what I remember most about <laughs> SAP 20 years ago was that half the pages were, had never been translated. Yeah, sorry, good question. I've been absorbed in the world. I assume everyone knows it. And in fact, my joke is when I started this company, I couldn't even spell SAP. But it's basically, it's a system you somewhat never see. It runs in the back end, but it, it does all the heavy lifting for an organization. So it might pay people every month. It might uh, process all the sales orders. Or when a sales order comes in, it reaches out to another system that manages your inventory and says, ship it here. And then goes to another one, which is your backlog, and says, okay, now we need to bring stuff from the backlog to the inventory. Uh, it really is... Uh, business you know, enterprise resource planning it just does mm -hmm. all the heavy lifting for businesses around just just keeping the things the things running um there's some amazing stats that's something like uh, i'm going to make it up but it's pretty close 82 percent of the world economy kind of runs at some point through an sap system it's just phenomenal how how widespread they are i think it's actually closer to 84 percent but uh, <laughs> yeah, well, i was quoting last yeah, week and, and the problem yeah. with sap is the complexity you have you have netweaver and then you have another module then another module then another module you install then another module that you add and it it, it can be a very very complex yeah. setup I, yeah, I have friends that make over $200,000 a year, and their only job is flying around the globe doing installs. That's mm -hmm. the only thing they do yeah. due to the complexity and, of it. Yeah, you could argue it's a business model, that it's very open and configurable to allow for this business of consulting, of coming in and configuring it any way you like. Uh, and then to answer the second part of your question, yes, a big part of the documentation is still uh, mixed language, and, and it's, just, uh, it's probably less than, than 20 years ago, but it's... Yeah, I still talk to a lot of people, and they, they describe it as Japanese as the language they use. It's kind of a hybrid version of words used, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a very complex system to learn about uh, because of that. I wanted to go back to default passwords. Um, I'm going to cover that in my talk on Saturday, but what I find interesting is that a lot of penetration testers, a lot of software applications and vendors like yourselves that make uh, protection in, in uh, audit software for S SAP and similar systems, a default password seems to be prevalent everywhere. I think people have this perception that, well, default passwords, those really only exist in like home routers and IoT devices and stuff, and maybe some, then you extend out to web applications, but how we extend it out to SAP? Mm -hmm. And it just a, a question for, for everyone, um, what tools does the enterprise have to find all of their default passwords? Because it seems, it's a very simple problem to fix, right? You either disable it or change the default password. If it was that simple, more people would be changing it. But why don't people... Why don't, so yeah. I, the question is twofold. Why don't we have tools that discover it across the entire enterprise, and why don't more people change it? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I, I think the second part, this is just a guess on my part, just, but just based on what I've seen, is... It's deployed by Carlos's friend, who, who's, whose job is just to deploy it and get it running. And they probably document it and they leave behind this information that this is the password. But the, the, the people who take over that deployment, that's not a concern of theirs that it has this password. That might be standard default or might be the same one that that vendor always or that, that consultant company or you know, every installation they do has that same password. And then actually it's because of the fact that that first uh, question ha doesn't have an answer. There's no single way to just try 
for all my different applications, the default passwords to get that single view. It's a real challenge, I think, for InfoSec to, to just even know which are the ones that have it. In fact, uh, well, it's probably even just a real challenge for InfoSec to even know what other different systems that's running in my enterprise. Do I know about them all? And then, all right, now I know about them. What is the possible, what's the possible default password I should try for that? Yeah. I mean, I, I would might- guess, too, that uh, especially for a system like SAP, where it's installed by an outside consultant, you know, who wants to be the person that tries to change the password and ends up breaking three quarters of the system? Mm-hmm. Because right. they don't know what all the dependencies are, or they they miss a step, or something like that. Well, also testing it is problematic due to account lockout. Mm-hmm. In my experience, if someone knows of a tool, please tell me. In my experience, the tools don't identify the actual device and only try the default passwords for that particular manufacturer's device. Now, that manufa- uh, multiple manufacturers make a device that listens on port 23 for Telnet, right? right? But what I find is the solutions are like, oh, I found Telnet. I've got this list of 5,000 default usernames and passwords that I know are associated with Telnet, so I'm going to try all of them, and then the device gets crushed. Right. But if yeah. I can identify... The device has SAP, for example. I probably have what Alex like maybe half a dozen different yeah, default a, a passwords. Full of this. Exactly. Yeah, and, and so that that limits your um, uh, the risk of locking that account yeah. out. Now I haven't seen that on the market. Carlos, I know you work for Tenable today. Yeah. I it's funny when I Google search for this problem, I find my own damn articles that I wrote for Tenable <laughs> like six or seven years ago. <laughs> Yeah, and and when we're talking about default password, the key on that is actually fingerprinting properly the Mm. device. So that way you know which set of credentials are the ones that you're going to be testing against that device. Because if you don't know which set of credentials, we come into the problem that you mentioned that we are taking the risk of locking out those accounts. The Mm -hmm. other thing is protocols. Uh, Let's take, for example, SAP. SAP, depending on the suite of products that you install, several of them listen on different ports and on different uh, API endpoints. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, you have to know those URIs. You you need to know those paths. And we go back to the initial question. Have you been able to fingerprint that service properly? So you know where to go what protocol to use or what method to use to authenticate. And then you need to also consider the the, um, the different complexity that you can have in that infrastructure. For example, are, are, did we decide to use Kerberos? Did we decide to use SAML? Did we decide to use NCLM Basic? Or we decided to use Digest? HTTPS, no, no HTTPS, what did we decide to use? So uh, each product on its own introduces, due to the way that you can configure it, its own complexities. Interesting. And you could maybe take it a step further. So let's say you do, you check for all the default passwords, but you could argue you should also check for all the simple passwords that people could have changed the default away from as well. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. Some change it to password 1234. Which is something an attacker is probably going to guess, and you know, as testers, we should be looking for the same thing. Yeah, it, that's it, what, go ahead, Carlos. And, and that's why you're seeing vendors actually take it upon themselves. For example, uh, let's say that you have an iOS device. All of a sudden, you decided to upgrade it, activate it, and it says, "Oh, now you need to use, uh, enter a passcode." If you enter one 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 one, Apple will actually say, "Nope, denied. This is too simple." Mm-hmm. If you do one two three four five, it says, "Nope, denied. It's too simple." 
Same thing if you go to, say, to Windows Azure and you're trying to set up a service in Azure. The Azure uh, Security Console will actually come up and, tell, and get, start giving you warnings on all of the accounts that you have that are using very simple credentials or credentials are in a dictionary or even credentials that have been known that have been used in, in uh, other compromises. They actually keep a database of compromise uh, credentials that they actually compare your, your, your password against. So we're starting to see vendors, at least on the cloud side, uh, start adding this to their services. That's you know, interesting because I was go gonna ahead. I was gonna say you know it, we talk about how to find them once they're already out there, but you'd like to think there's some way to proactively install servers and applications so that the default passwords are getting changed or disabled in the first place. And I'm not throwing that on the vendors necessarily. I think necessarily. I, I gave that up on that a long time ago. I know. It's pie in the sky. I think you can throw that on the vendors. I think it's a responsibility of a vendor to make it very hard to leave your product insecure or you have to jump through hoops. It should be easier to, to deploy a product in a secure way than an insecure way. And right now, that's not true. Well, and you see different responses to that. Uh, for example, Raspberry Pi, uh, the Raspbian distribution for Raspberry Pi used to have SSH enabled by default with a default set of credentials. Now, they've left the default set of credentials, but they make you turn on SSH, mm. which I don't, I don't agree with that. I think mm -mm. that still leaves the problem there. You're just right. limiting access to the problem. That's yeah, a band-aid. Yeah. yeah, and then people are just going to enable SSH, which is super easy, and then not change the password. Um, so that's, that is problematic. Or, you know, why, why are systems, uh, this came up a couple months ago when I was out at HP, why are systems and applications, if you will, still being shipped in the 21st century in 2016-17 with, with Telnet available in the first place? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's a, a protocol one. issue, not so much a a password <coughs> issue, right? Right. And you're not yeah. talking authentication. You're talking the uh, integrity and security of the protocol used to administer it. And I completely agree. It's a separate issue, but I agree. Like, why is Telnet even still? Because someone and, can very and, easily sniff. And a recent surprise I got was uh, IKEA IoT devices. All of a sudden, I was seeing a review that was done on IKEA uh, devices. And they, each device actually has its own pre-shared key for you to connect to it. And each device, you have to look into the bottom and, and scan a QR code. So you have that unique uh, key that is specific to that device to access uh, the device itself. The updates are signed. Uh, it is able to automatically update if you want through the web. So they're able to push updates and fix stuff for you. Um, and we're starting to see vendors actually take notice. If IKEA, not yeah. it's doing proper design of their IoT devices. Why not Samsung? Why not SAP? Why not Cisco, HP, and others? Mm. Do, do they do, do those devices come with instructions, and are they all pictures? <laughs> mm -hmm. I've been setting up quite a bit of IKEA thanks to my <laughs> wife for the uh, baby room, and well, all of that stuff you see back there—it's IKEA that I had to uh, yep. set up the, the other day. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> um, uh, the trend today, Alex, uh, to speak to some of the problems we've talked about already in that systems are very complex, such as Active Directory, for example, SAP. There are so many different ways <clears throat> in which you can introduce exposures or 
make it they make it difficult for you to reduce the number of exposures that are being used by attackers and pen testers alike. And what I'm seeing in the market today is using some kind of monitoring or auditing software to discover systems that uh, have those exposures or um, also technologies that are deception technologies that make it harder for attackers to gain access to those exposures. Do you see similar trends in SAP? And I know it's kind of a band-aid, right? Like we're not really fixing the problems, but we're either making people aware of the problems or making attackers' lives miserable by just like giving them bogus results and doing deception technology. Do either of those things come into play in SAP? Yeah, it's a good question. We definitely see the awareness, people just wanting to get a better picture. Um, uh, and oftentimes it's, uh, uh, someone today actually made a comment that um, you took me from a state of being ignorant to a state of being negligent. Because basically now yeah. I know about these issues, but I can't really, because of you know, the things we've talked about already. But uh, That could be your, your it, marketing tagline. That's probably <laughs> 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 I'll, I'll run it up the, the with the team and let's see let's see what kind of graphic we can put to, to go with that. <laughs> um, we don't see the deception, but I think that's that again that's just because we're somewhat behind mm-hmm. in terms of what what people are willing to do. But we definitely people see people who find great appeal in the hey tell me how I can fix this without having to change my SAP system. So yeah. in a virtual patching, things we can put in front of the system to add that protection, but I can either buy time or put off altogether making that change to my SAP system. Yeah. It, it, it seems to me that it's not just for uptime and resiliency, <clears throat> right, but the complexity of implementing a fix in, I've been looking into Active Directory lately. For example, like when we talk about pass the hash, people are like, oh, just implement Microsoft Laps, right, which mm-hmm. creates a unique password for all your local admin accounts. Like, the documentation's like 40 pages. Like, it's not like I can just wake up in the morning and go, oh, yeah, I'm just going to implement that. And it's not all pictures. And it's not all pictures. There's a ton of text in this document. It's terrible. But SAP is in a similar thing. Like, to fix the problems that your software is identifying, Alex, I'm sure there's also like a 40-plus page document that talks about how you need to reconfigure and redesign things to make that problem go away and people are just like that's like way too much work and there's a lot of the problem is that it's uh, a lot of the vulnerabilities around communication like how things are talking to each other and Mm -hmm. to to increase just like you're describing to increase the security around the communication both ends of the communication have to now understand and use this additional level of security so you've you've got legacy systems or vendors or suppliers or you know just these systems you don't have as much control over who who won't support a stronger authentication, uh, yes. uh, kind of encryption on the communication. It's now, the same problem. Like you when you, if you disable LM hashes, like good luck talking to Windows ninety five and ninety eight. Exactly. Now, why you have that in your environment is a totally different <laughs> problem, right? You get, but you, get like, you have to go for the weakest link. Now dictates your entire security policy. Correct. Correct. That's the level that you can support. But, but but again, it requires proper planning. Anything mm-hmm. you do in security it requires proper planning. It requires testing. For example, if I'm going into an AD environment, one of the first things I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the domain controller and start looking at the uh, logon events. I think 4628, 4624, and all of those events. I'm going to start checking what is the package they're logging in. Are they logging via SMB? Are they logging via NTLM? Uh, if they're logging via uh, um, NTLM, and that means that probably they're using SMB. I'm going to look at, at the share that I have in those domain controllers. I'm going to look at what are the clients accessing their GPOs. Are they using SMB1, SMB2? Then I'm going to start 
harvesting that information from my logs so I can identify if I have printers that are logging in with old protocols, if I have old machines logging with old protocols, and then start fixing that stuff. But it requires a level of knowledge. It requires planning. It requires people to actually have the knowledge to do that research and learn from it, and that management actually supports them in doing that. that it's not on them. The like, why didn't you do it yep. last week? Executive support, management support about the time this is going to take. That you know, as mm. Paul's saying, it's not just right-click enable security and and the job's done. It's a real it's a real effort that you need to stop and and plan and have time to to do. So manage, we're trying to achieve this without executive sponsorship is is almost futile. Well, I, I, you hit the keyword there is you have to stop right because if you're going to like do the audit, Carlos was talking about and things that we've talked about, Alex, in the SAP world. If I've got a project that's on my plate, like maybe I'm planning on going to uh, Azure and moving into Office 365, that's a big project. Maybe in SAP, I'm building out some new functionality for a new portion of the business. The executives are, they're big on those projects, right? But if you say, hey, I got to stop because we need to do this thing to get rid of LM Hasher, so we need to do this thing in SAP that makes us more secure, that's a tougher sell if it's not sold and communicate it appropriately. And, and not only that, it's also the lack of knowledge. Many times you don't give proper training to the personnel or give them proper time mm-hmm. to actually learn what they need to learn to do the job. For example, if I'm integrating SMP into uh, SAP into Active Directory and I'm doing via LDAP, more than likely I'm, do, I'm not doing it over SSL. Almost yeah. every time I've seen somebody integrate into LDAP, they're going clear text all the way into LDAP. And they're going, no, we're secure. We're in SAP. We're using LDAP. And I'm going like, and what's the secure level? Are you actually using Kerberos? And then when I look at the settings, they're just putting the IP address of the domain control. I'm like, uh, Kerberos works with fully qualified domain names. I think probably you're downgrading back to clear text credentials there, my friend. And, and that's the thing. If you talk with somebody that hasn't had that experience, they won't know. They think I'm connecting to Active Directory. Active Directory by default is supposed to be Kerberos. I'm secure. And they, they're lacking that knowledge. Many times it could be their own fault for not spending the time to learn it. And more than likely, it's going to be management for not providing the proper training or the, or the proper amount of time to absorb that information. How many times have we been in a class where we're training somebody and you have like three or four guys constantly going outside of the class with their cell phones on their ear because their manager's constantly calling them uh, to uh, resolve stuff back at the office. Yep, that's very common. Speaking of training, I know John's friend and I pretty much are in agreement where you get the training for active uh, directory. Uh, and that's actually Jason Fossen's SANS course. But in the SAP world, um, Alex, yeah, I know that Onapsis all, uh, still offers training at Black Hat. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. And is that a four-day class? Uh, no, it's just a two-day two, two, two classes? Two-day two class, yeah. Okay. And now so are there other SAP security-focused training classes out there that you see people taking or – no, not that we've seen. We we've done it through SANS as well, but it's the same it's the same class. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we haven't seen anyone else really offering offering anything. Oh, so um, you're offering it more now? Yeah, we're showing. Yeah, it's, it's um, we're seeing more demand, which is really good. That's good. That's not good just for us, but in general, just that people. Yeah, you know, there's a real 
gap between people with security knowledge and people with SAP knowledge. SAP is a whole domain all by itself, mm. and you, know, you can spend a lifetime learning it. Uh, but if you don't understand security, then you're just, you know, as um, kind of Carlos was talking about, you're going to be implementing things the same way you've always implemented it with, with no thought around security. So, and, and we've seen real clashes between information security and SAP administrators because they, yeah, they're each trying to achieve different goals and they're having a trouble, hard time communicating with each other. So we're seeing more and more people who suddenly realize that we need someone who can talk to both, you know, who can sit in between and understand both worlds. So the, the training is becoming more and more popular. Do you see security people in the organization pushing the SAP team to be more secure? Is that an increasing trend? We see an interesting conversation, which is they look at the org chart and there's a team called uh, like SAP security analysts. And they go to them and they ask them about their, all right, so you know, SAP releases 30 patches every month. Like, what's your policy around deploying them? And that SAP security team says, no, 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 we do user provisioning. Yeah. So your information security, you do patches. They do yeah. identity and access management, exactly. right, is what they do. Exactly. Yes. So there's a, we're definitely seeing security realizing, hey, you know, if, let's say someone compromises an SAP system uh, through some kind of exploit, who, who is the business going to turn around and look at and say, what were you doing to secure this? And it's, it's them. So they're the kind of uh, having more internal awareness that let's solve this problem now versus you know, experience some kind of finger pointing or you know, all, the, all the blame game that goes with it in a, in a post-incident world. Uh, so, yeah, we're seeing the, the security team. And interestingly, which I never thought I'd hear myself say, we're seeing the audit team driving it as well. Looking, Interesting. Uh, you know, kind of taking the security principles they've learned for other systems and, and, and applying them and asking the questions around SAP systems. <clears throat> so, but audits driving it beyond just user provisioning and identity and access management, which I think exactly. that's a really important point and yeah. a good milestone for us. Well, and that's, in my experience, you know, doing compliance, PCI mm -hmm. in particular, most of the times the compliance assessment projects are driven by internal audit or they actually have a, a, a compliance group that was a spinoff of the audit group. So it makes total sense that the audits, audit groups would be driving that. Um, there was a story, Alex, about um, SAP's Trex exposed Hannah and Net Weaver. And the, the subtitle, this of course is from the register, so they had to put ridiculous titles and subtitles, <laughs> is No Jokes About Dinosaurs. Yeah, I was going to say, I was impressed you didn't say T-Rex, which is uh, obviously the default that people say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Trex is interesting because SAP HANA is a very new uh, um, um, application produced by SAP, but built on some legacy uh, work they've done. And, and Trex is a protocol that's an internal protocol that they developed a long time ago that they're still using as the communication between the, the d different modules that make up HANA. Um, and actually, this one... Uh, we found a vulnerability in Trex two years ago, and SAP patched it. And this latest patch is basically they didn't fully patch it. They, they missed something uh, in uh, one particular attack path inside, and then they're patching it again. So um, it was an interesting one. It's a, it's a tricky one to exploit, and it's a proprietary protocol. So um, exploiting it is, you know, has some barriers because of it. Um, but we're seeing there's a lot of HTTP interfaces into HANA, which you can run a lot of Pretty interesting exploits over. There was one, uh, uh, SAP does a monthly patching cycle. So this last one was this, this Trex vulnerability, but the one previously, uh, SAP HANA has a user self-service. I mean, uh, SAP HANA is supposed to run with thousands of users. So you don't want someone who's manually got to help them reset passwords, that type of thing. 
Um, and there was a, a, a set of vulnerabilities that when combined together, you could use the user self-service to change the password on any account and also you know, enable that account if it's disabled. So the obvious thing to do is to enable the system account, change the password, and that's it. You're, you're logged in all from uh, starting off with, with no credentials. So that one was a big one that came out last month. So we're seeing a lot of interesting vulnerabilities being so again, for the non-SAP people, a quick, quick and dirty definition of HANA and Trex. Yeah, and, and NetWeaver. NetWeaver is a new one for me. Yeah, We've Net talked Weaver. about the others okay. in the past. Net, yeah, yeah. NetWeaver is the core for almost exactly. everything. Hmm. Yep. It's the framework that everything runs on. Exactly. So, if you think of SAP as a computer, NetWeaver is the BIOS layer that everything has to run through. If you want to read data, you go through NetWeaver. If you want to execute processes, you go through Net, NetWeaver. So if you can control that layer. All the authentication and authorization happens above that layer. So if you're running at that layer, you're bypassing So it's like it. ring zero for SAP. Yep, yeah, exactly. Yeah. HANA is, a, um, is an in-memory database that SAP produced. So very fast, very scalable uh, database that runs in memory, and, and it's their bet on the future. So they're pushing all of their customers to move to use this database to all their, not all their, but a lot of the the applications that as they release new versions, these versions only run on HANA. So it's it's their bet for the future. And, uh, you know, they're kind of pushing slash dragging their customers uh, to to make that bet. With and, and HANA's kind of like the an access broker management layer? The thing is, and yeah, SAP uses the same name for different things. So there's actually multiple versions of HANA. Mm -hmm. So it gets really confusing when you're talking to someone if you're each thinking of a different one. So HANA can just be a pure database. It's in memory, it's very fast, but it's, it's just a database. Mm -hmm. Then there's HANA XS, which is basically an application server that runs on top of that database that you can use to, to serve up data and to run applications on it. Then there's S4 HANA, which is a simplified version of HANA that's uh, quicker to deploy and just has, but it has a subset of modules. And then there's uh, HANA in the cloud, which is a uh, cloud-based HANA. So depending on what you're talking about, it's generally a database and applications that can run on top of that database. I got you. So it's cloud-based, memory-based. Well, you can you can run it on-prem as well, but you're, I mean, it's memory. So you're 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 having, in theory, like hundreds of gigabytes of RAM in order to run the entire database in memory. So it's very expensive. Thank awesome. you. Um, what uh, are some new product features, Alex? Uh, to <laughs> kind of close out our our interview, are you releasing new uh, features. Are you still? Yeah. Uh, what is your title there? You're still like director yep. of product director management? Of product management, exactly. Okay. Yep. Uh, so still very much heavily, product management is my passion. So I'm, I'm uh, uh, actually getting more involved in the local product management community here in Boston. I think it's a sign of my age that I want to give back and I want to start you know, doing things and, and networking and, and uh, interacting with people. But on the product side, it's been really, uh, really a fun, uh, I can't believe it's only been Q1 this year feels like. It's been a year uh, already, but we've released a, a ton of new features, new reporting engine. You know, ultimately, for any product, it's about can you find all the right information and then can you communicate it properly to the people uh, who need it? So we've done a lot around making sure we're communicating communicating, sorry, the information out clearly uh, and also doing a lot around, uh, as we talked about earlier, a lot of our customers you know, um, feel that they're frustrated because they feel that Part of what they're doing is they're just admiring the problem. And we're providing all this data about all the issues they have, and uh, they look at it and say, aren't we great? We've identified all these issues, but they're struggling to address those issues in a timely manner. So the virtual patching, detection capabilities, uh, compensating controls, 
explore these vulnerabilities so that they don't feel so bad that it's taking them so long to, to address these issues and, and remediate them at the source, like directly apply a patch or apply a change to their SAP systems. <coughs> Excuse and me. And then, of course, cloud. I've got to say cloud. Uh, but yeah, we, we um, partnered with the uh, Cloud Security Alliance. Um, so we joined there and we've started a working group with them uh, around how to secure ERP systems, so which SAP is one, in the cloud. We're seeing a lot of, surprisingly, a lot of organizations who are really moving these systems to the cloud, uh, driven a lot in a large part by the business. There's a lot of cost benefits and so it's attractive to the business to offsource this. So we're making sure that we're, we're working with the right people and providing the right guidance so you can you know, moving your systems outside of your network doesn't mean you wash your hands of responsibility for those systems, although some people apparently seem to think so. So we're making sure you know, that people understand you still own that data. If it gets, if you know, something happens to it, you're the ones at fault, even if the contract says your cloud provider is, you know, people are still going to blame the, the, the organization. So we're working hard to make sure they, they make that move in a secure way. So if I'm talking to my SAP team and they want to go to a conference or they're going to a conference. Are there, is there a conference coming up that Onapsis will be at and everyone who's listening can say, hey, if you're doing SAP stuff, make sure you go talk to Onapsis at this conference. Absolutely. Yeah, there's one uh, called Sapphire, which is in, uh, starts on um, May 15, I believe, uh, down in Orlando. So mm -hmm. it'd be nice to be back down in Orlando. I think it's something tens of thousands of attendees. It's a, oh, it's wow. a really big conference. So it's a big yeah. SAP conference, yeah. Big SAP conference. We just had okay. GRC uh, uh, th four weeks ago. I did mm -hmm. um, three, pres two, three presentations at GRC, which was which was fun. But this is a big one. This is their big show. But it, it's um, it's a very wide variety of a lot of SAP users, you know, different SAP functions. So security is a subset of the, the overall conference. But mm -hmm. if you go to one SAP show each year, that's probably the one that you go to. I got you. And there's a security track at Sapphire? Yeah, there's a security track. We're doing in-booth presentations every hour type of thing. So we're, there's going to be a lot of security-based uh, conversations and, and presentations going on at that conference. Oh, that's good. Well, that's good Good advice for our listeners. I have Go a ahead, question. Jeff. So I was reading through the Onapsis webpage, and I, I gravitate to compliance since that's what I did so much in PCI in particular. And there was a statement in there about how you guys help uh, figure out the uh, uh, what's in scope and what's not in scope within an SAP system. Um, and given as much as we were talking about how complex it is, uh, I'm just, I'm curious as to what your approach is for, you know, how, how do you, uh, for the lack of a better term, segment an SAP system to isolate in scope and out of scope systems? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, obviously our, our default uh, rule of thumb is they're all in scope, so you yep. should buy as much of our product as you can. But uh, Yeah, so the question uh, is, prove to me that you can take a yeah. part of SAP out of scope. Yeah, yeah that, that's really hard to do. I'd have to, I'll check that portion of the website to begin with. Um, but we <laughs> take that down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But definitely, um, there's, it all depends on how it's configured, but you know, we can definitely restrict our, our assessments to production SAP systems versus the development SAP system. So it could be uh, kind of referencing ways of of defining which are the ones where the data is, um, which we have ways of, of, of working out what data is running on different systems and therefore what do they count for. Right. The only other piece we could do, not only other, but the main other piece we could do that, that I can think of is we have a concept of tagging, like metadata for the, for the SAP systems. So mm -hmm. that would rely on someone applying the metadata to the systems uh, as, it, as uh, kind of held inside of our platform. And then you can define the audit saying, I want to run this audit against anyone that has the tag uh, PCI, anyone that has a tag production and has a tag finance, for example. So 
it's not an automated way that it it's uh, distinguishing what to run against, but it's using input from from the enterprise or from the business to just to, to kind of use this metadata to to create custom scans or at least to segment away a portion of the of the target population. Well, and that it's it's a big deal, and it's it's a huge exercise probably to just identify the data flows and, and oh, where, yeah. where data resides within. Mm -hmm. As complex as a system as I yeah. remember SAP to be, and I'm sure yeah. it's, it's even more so today. Exactly, and uh, you know, to be frank as well, it's a big deal. It's, it's hard as well. You know, QA testing wants to test against something as close to production as possible, and especially mm -hmm. with workflows, the amount of data there makes a difference. So there's always a temptation of organizations to say, "Well, just copy production, like copy all the data over to testing," and that way you've got you know, thirty thousand records, and you can run your queries against them and see how long they take, and so. Mm -hmm. That's the challenge as well. Are they obfuscating any PII data when they make that change? Uh, what do they do when they finish the testing? Yeah, we have some automated ways of helping with that, but you know, some things just need a human being to look at. Hmm. Uh, random question, but does SAP have a way of securely deleting data, permanently deleting data that's, hmm. that's retired or run its course? That's a really good question. I don't know the answer. If, uh, if I had to give an answer, then I would say no. And there's probably a third party that, that does do that. Mm. Um, you know, uh, I think part of it is, uh, you know, unless you're using HANA, you, you're using someone else's database. And so they're relying on that database to delete the, the record whenever they, they send the command. So I would err on the side of, of not thinking that they have that. Certainly not out of the box. Um, gotcha. yeah. Okay. Well, Alex, it's always nice chatting with you. I hope to see you soon at uh, an upcoming good. conference. So That's thanks, Alex. Take care. Thanks, everyone. <clears throat> with that, we take a short break. Come back with a fabulous technical segment from Carlos Perez. So stay tuned. Don't go anywhere.